0: This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you.
1: You better get to talking, mister. Who are you? you
0: I have, have been for sitting system? here answering questions in my shorts for a reasonable length of time. Now, I want my pants and I want to get out of here. All right.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the I double MP podcast, where we get a combination of nostalgia, media criticism, and horrible misuse of parental authority. (laughs) My name is Matthew Porter, and with me is Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son, and I make him watch TV, whether he wants to or not. Well, yeah, but do you pay me $200 a day plus expenses to do it? I don't think so. If so, I owe you more than I realized. (laughs) Yeah. So what we do here is uh we go back and watch TV and movies and uh eventually things like books and and record albums from my youth so that I can uh decide do they really hold up and Ian can figure out what ha- how, what
2: happened how do these relate to what I've seen nowadays how could they be brought into what we see now and you know what I think of it with that different perspective because some things don't hold up and some things absolutely could so far so good we've got a pretty good track record we have yet to hit
1: that show where i still love it and you just can't stand
2: it so far we're in sync i know that day is coming but that day is coming we're gonna hit that at some point we've had the show where i can't sit through this one i was enraptured this one i was excited by i liked it and you know this is our 10th
1: podcast episode so we're in double digits now
2: oh my goodness i think
1: that's that's a pattern we're um we're actually sticking with this yay and for for the many of these first episodes of the podcast they have been firsts like last time on mary tyler moore that was our first sitcom we did our first you know sci-fi show things like that
2: our first psychological horror with lidsville
1: (laughs) that's right yes Our first Millennium Strikes Back with Disney's The Weekenders. This one isn't really... The, the show we watch today isn't really a first. We're going back to a well that we already dug earlier, and that is 70s
2: mystery and crime TV shows. Such a rich well, though. It is. This is a well we can pull buckets from... For a long time, and I am excited by that. And we're pulling the good st- the best stuff first. Not As you
1: say, there, there, there is plenty to, to, uh, to get from there. But we started out in our second episode with Columbo, and now we are going for The Rockford Files.
2: <sighs> oh, goodness.
1: This is a classic TV show, and it holds up like heck.
2: Absolutely. And here is the crazy thing, though i am I recognized all of the pieces, yeah, and I didn't recognize the whole until we started watching. Uh, how do you mean I mean the the pieces in the setup are ubiquitous in terms of the i mean the opening with the phone in terms of the the style of the of that synth opening music the the character portrayal and the sort of cases he deals with they all felt like a quintessential thing like something that oh yeah this is a an example of the type of what this type of show is and somehow though the name the rockford files had none of that weight until i'd started seeing it, it it's it's like being told all of the ingredients in a sandwich and knowing This will be a great sandwich because, you know, every single one of those is tasty, but you could have never have picked it out on a menu based on the name.
1: I think I understand that. I might have to parse that out a little bit, but
2: but. another instance of my strange (laughs) metaphor. I know you get pretty deep into these analyses
1: sometimes, (laughs) which is great. I think I know what what you're saying. That it's it somehow, you can recognize the value of all the pieces, and yet there's still something
2: extra when you put them together into a vehicle like this. Absolutely. And the fact that I could recognize all the pieces, but not see this as one of the, the places that popularized it, or the places that brought them together first. Mm-hmm. The fact that this proved this setup, and yet I never knew of it in media as one of the places where these... Shined so you came into
1: this with very little knowledge of the Rockford Files,
2: absolutely. Right? I that's interesting. I barely knew, I it was one of these names I might have heard in passing in like a list, but never a go watch the Rockford Files, it's these things, or the Rockford Files is one of these classic shows. It was just the list of shows that were on, including da 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 Colombo, da la Rockford Files. It, it, it was part of the group but never an individually singled out thing okay. until you told me about it. And actually I'm going to back up. Not until you told me about it until the advertisements on one of the Columbo discs showed me a clip. Of it.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's about actually that. the first place I've ever he-
2: heard or seen the name, the
1: Rockford files. Oh, that works then. that that's good. You can see, you know, they're from the same era, a lot of crossover and people who would enjoy them. And, Of course, part of what makes it what it is, it was built from the ground up as a a vehicle for James Garner, who already was a wildly popular uh, star. Before this, he was more known for war movies and for Westerns. And specifically, there was a Western that he was in for a long time called Maverick, in Ah. which he played this kind of good-hearted kind of con man, not always on the level, but did what was right in the end, smooth-talking, handsome cowboy-type guy. Brett Maverick. (laughs) And when they created the Rockford Files, the whole idea was, we want that same kind of charm and that same kind of energy, but we're going to update it and we're going to put it in modern day. And that's what they built this Private Eye series around. And I don't know if this was the first series created or co-created by Stephen J. Cannell, I don't know if it's Cannell or Cannell. I've heard that name pronounced a few different ways. I'm going to say Kennel. Uh, however you pronounce it, he is responsible for so much of the TV that was going on when I was a kid, and I'm sure we'll we'll see a lot of his stuff. But he brought a lot of of a lot of character, a lot of tone, something special to a lot of the series that he created, uh, and I think you see that here. But James Garner is one of these these guys where there's there's a built in audience and there's a built in style you know is going to come with a James
2: Garner uh, TV show and talk about talk about an actor with a camera presence. he is a guy not in not merely in terms of build but in terms of emotiveness and in terms of body language and ability that you can't not look. Where he is on the screen.
1: Yeah, you cannot take your eyes off him. And he makes it look so easy.
2: Oh, yeah. And that almost works in a different way in this. Yeah. Because going into a little bit of the show, he is Rockford, this, this character, this private investigator, going about doing his things. But he will disguise every once in a while with the little pair of glasses and the slightly ill-fitting suit. Right. And try to play a... A businessman doing his job and just no, i don't have time for this i'm here to do the thing and he's gone to that character twice in the episodes we watched yep and the fact that you can put him in those with the with the glasses and he is a man with enough camera presence that means he can play a guy playing another role yes he's playing a double level there and has enough presence to do both simultaneously is excellent. And while we're watching these,
1: we're always seeing, oh, this is Jim Rockford pretending to be an insurance salesman. There's always that double level and we're there with him and in on the joke, in on the gag or the scheme. And that's, that's part of it is that we can see him as a friend of ours and we can see us ourselves hanging around with, with, with Jim Rockford or James Garner. Mm-hmm. And he's
2: got this everyman quality. Yeah. He he's able to play a guy in a disguise while letting the audience look right through the disguise and therefore engage with the character who's trying to wear a disguise all the more. And I think that
1: idealized regular guy sort of character is what makes him so attractive and did make him so attractive for so long.
2: Oh, absolutely in this. He is,
1: and it's interesting for for the premise of our podcast here. He's one of these actors that means something different for different generations. It's kind of a trope now that if you ask people, say, of my parents' generation, who, who's uh, uh, James Garner? Did I say. J- I'm going to confuse this, I know, throughout this podcast. I'm going to say Jim Rockford when I mean James Garner and vice versa. I hope, hope it's not too confusing. If you ask people who are uh, like over a certain age, who's James Garner, they're going to say, oh, he's the guy who played Maverick. You ask people who are a little bit younger, starting, say, with with my generation or a little bit older than me, who's James Garner? They're going to say, oh, the guy who played Jim Rockford. A little bit older than that, it's going to be, oh, wasn't he the guy in the Polaroid commercials? Or wasn't he the guy who was the voice of the Beef Council in their TV commercials? And then you get to the people who are going to answer who's James Garner. So it follows all the way through, but... He was successful in each one of those from the war movies through through Maverick and the Rockford Files to commercials because
2: he seemed so believable and so so ordinary. It was a linchpin to to a show like this is having an actor like that. Right. Now
1: the premise of the Rockford Files is that he is a, a private investigator. He's I wouldn't say that he is an unsuccessful private investigator, but he is not um, he's not financially well-off a private investigator. He is dodging bill collectors and he lives in a trailer near the ocean, which he says is because it's got all these benefits and he likes it, but I'm not sure that he could afford to live somewhere else if he, if he wanted to. Yeah, there's there's some there's some issues with that. And the ba- bit of backstory that we get is that he spent five or so years in the, the state penitentiary for... A, a like a bank job that he didn't commit, or he insists he didn't commit, and he was eventually pardoned by the governor, which I guess is how he can have a private eye license.
2: Yeah, that that setup in the first episode of explaining this backstory as like him getting chewed out by someone because he's asking for another favor, and that was very interesting. And that was a that's a very rich vein to set up for a back the backstory of a character, but either he needs to be a little bit more roughed up by it and a little bit more thrown and still trying to get steady from it, or the fact that everything is so fine needs to be more awkward. It was a little too clean, maybe that was just they didn't want to dive too deep in that episode. But the entire... No, no, no just 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 go, get over that. Yeah, you know, go to the next thing. That he was doing felt lessening to it. Oh, that's interesting. I either want him to be more bothered by it or everyone else to be more bothered by it. I had a very different take on that because they sort
1: of addressed this, I thought, pretty well in the pilot where he... I wish I could remember the exact way he phrased it, but he... He decided that didn't matter anymore. He, like, got over it. What other people thought about it didn't matter to him. Like, it was, it was a very zen kind of let go and just exist in the moment. He doesn't care anymore about the fact that he spent this time in prison except for some of the things he learned there. He doesn't care whether people believe that he really didn't do it or not.
0: If you told me you were innocent, I'd believe you. I really would. Well, it's not important to me anymore. It used to be. Yeah, I wanted everybody to know I was innocent. The governor gave me a pardon, and said it never happened. I took that pardon and I had it framed and I put it up on the wall of my office. Then one day, I looked at it. And suddenly wasn't important anymore, so I, I took it down. And you think I ought to take my father's picture down? I won't tell you what to do, sir. I, I gave up that habit while I was in prison. That's one of the more constructive things I learned while I was there. Well, somebody killed him, and whoever it is ought to be caught. Well, the trick is not to get caught yourself. You're talking to an expert. Five years of my life in that trap it's hard to climb out
1: I thought they handled that by by making it so ephemeral and making it meaningless to him
2: that's like all I needed there. Oh I'd want him to keep that Zenness popping up elsewhere in a with a similar tone yeah for me to fully read it as such okay. I can definitely see what you're saying, but it still felt disjointed, and I'm not sure how much of that was pilot episode syndrome, I want to call it. Right, where well, they that, have to deal with the backstory a little bit, but don't mm-hmm. go into too much or, detail. Or we we want to put in as many threads as we can so that we can decide which ones to pull on later. Right.
1: And, and I don't remember if they addressed that any further or any differently later on. I really don't remember much about individual episodes. It's like 20 years since I had seen any of
2: this uh, until we started watching it, mm-hmm. I I've not seen a lot of the original show, but I've seen a few episodes of the original show. Even if we make an episode of it later, and of its reboot, and it reminds me of Magnum PI having this, oh, having this backstory of you know war buddies and then going to this place retirement stuff that they yeah. made uh, maybe bigger in the the reboot, but both the original and the reboot. Of Magnum. Of Magnum, pull on that as a thread. Yeah. And I'm wondering if they were trying to set this up as a similar thing for Rockford or if it would be used similarly. And I didn't feel that they they started it up well enough then. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I maybe we'll we'll watch some more of this at some point to see if they address this further mm-hmm. or if they, they do anything more with it. Because that's one of the problems with the pilot is there is so much they need to fit in there. And that's one of the reasons why we always try to make a point of watching the pilot for any series we're going to cover here. What are all the pieces they wanted to get out on the table that they could then work with? And what did they really work with? And what did they decide to leave alone later on?
2: Yeah. Your pilot, your first episode of any season, your last episode of any season are your chances to introduce stuff. Right. In a lot of shows. All the other episodes, they could, even if it's a show that has stakes and continuation from episode to episode you can't really change too far off of the the primary line of what the show is mm-hmm. yep unless you're at one of those big points
1: right you need, you need to be at some kind of pivot otherwise you're just changing things out from
2: under the audience in a way mm-hmm. and you very quickly become an anthology series right. of disconnected episodes
1: yeah you become mrs colombo which I don't know that we're ever going to talk about Mrs. Colombo. And if we don't, you're welcome. (laughs) So let's talk about that Rockford files pilot that we watched, because like so many series at the time, this started, I'm going to pause you. Sure. We're talking about the pilot episode or the pilot he shot at. We'll get to the second one, but we're talking about the pilot episode. (laughs)
2: Pilot episode. Yes.
1: Um, And like so many series at the time, this started out with a TV movie to introduce the characters, introduce the um, the setup. And then it soon became a TV series. And this sets up a lot of what we've talked about already with Jim Rockford living in his trailer, his dad being a figure in his life, although I think the actor who played yeah, the his actor dad changes. changed from the, the movie to the, the pilot to the series. And he's a, a private investigator. One thing they really stress in the pilot which I don't know... I think it was one of the, the, the conceits of the show, and I think it might have faded over time, is what the, na- what the title means, what the Rockford files are.
2: That, that is excellent, and I like that being the name of it, since it's, it's, it's a filing cabinet of things. It's, it's got this physicality in some ways. Right, it's very,
1: very specific, and they, they point this out with the framing of that shot where they have the, the title... And that is that the Rockford files are the LAPD's file of unsolved inactive cases. They're cold cases, cases the police have given up on. That's what Jim Rockford as a private investigator specializes in. People who still want something resolved, even though the police
2: have given up on it. They come to Jim Rockford and hire him. And that is a wonderful setup. That gives an opportunity for him to have a wider variety of case types. Now uh, for drama and action, there's going to be a fist fight. There's going to be a car chase. There's going to be a murder at some point, possibly, but you can give him a bigger variety of starting points than a lot of other things, because people can come with him from anything from my father was murdered to I think someone's stealing from the company. Right. And I I can think of all of these other things, like, you could have him looking after a missing pet that someone thinks was kidnapped he'd be you could have this episode there's a lot more opportunity there which means that you'd never wind up in the problem of uh, the dwindling population of Cabot Cove right yes and it builds
1: in a certain degree of pathos too because people are coming to him when there's a certain desperation and a certain emotional need that they've got as you're saying i the, the police have given up on trying to find the person who killed my father but i need to know what happened or i believe there are episodes you know my sister disappeared and all we got is this cryptic note and the police say that she's over 18 so there's nothing she can that we can do people really need to to know these things and it also sets up that tension in the character of Jim Rockford, where he tries to be more of a tough guy than he is. Oh. He tries to not care about anything. He tries to turn down half the cases that come his way, but he's really a soft touch and people can get to him emotionally and he says, okay, I'll look into it for a few hours. And if there's anything there, I'll take the case. And of course he does.
2: He's really,
1: really nice.
2: And I like that.
1: And this is probably why he can't afford to live any place except a
2: trailer. Probably. The money aspect is something that's hammered in a lot in this first episode. His fees are $200 a day plus expenses. He's making bets back and forth with his dad for money. Right, yes. About <laughs> like whether or not this person here is a client or a bill collector. <laughs> like, th- and, and the other episodes do that, where the phone call is, you know, your check bounced at the market at the beginning of the episode. Or uh, him... Going to a fancy restaurant and then trying to order a cheapest thing because he doesn't have the money.
1: Or he's going out to a restaurant it's on the client's dime, so he wants to be darn sure to get his order
2: in. I think he, we also, I believe, see, see him uh, either intentionally or unintentionally steal a tie, which also says something else. Yeah, we, we've watched
1: three episodes of this over the last few days, and in two of them... He tries to get into a restaurant and they tell him you have to be wearing a tie to be seated in the dining room. So he takes, he borrows a tie from the restaurant. And you're right, at least one of those we see him with later. He walked out with it. Yeah, he's back in his
2: office taking off that tie and tossing it over his It's like, this is how he gets all his ties. That's right. <laughs> but in that first episode he turns to one of our other characters after they kind of give him a hard time about these pricing. And he, he has this statement about how it is there to keep people invest, like in, in certain that they're going to do this. If they're willing to put up that money, this isn't a passing thing they're trying to solve.
0: I hope you can afford me. I'm sorry, what? I like to get the business out of the way up front. Uh, I don't want to shock you, Miss Butler, but it costs two hundred dollars a day plus expenses. Two hundred dollars plus expenses. People come to me all the time, and they all have problems. Sit down. I used to be soft-hearted, and I'd sit and listen, but they couldn't pay the freight. So they'd leave and be all depressed, and I'd be depressed. It was turning me off my own business, so now I do it this way.
1: That kind of thing they do a good job of setting up in this pilot, these statements of principle for the show in in the abstract and for the character specifically. Mm Mm-hmm. He is a guy
2: more invested in what he does but he is making sure that he can keep doing what he does and what and other people can come to him and he knows that if he just opened up his heart and did it for everyone he wouldn't be around to do it long enough to help as much people right there there's there's a wonderful balance to that
1: and the finances give us recurring jokes and recurring scenes, too, because we actually see him going over the bill with a client as they eat hot dogs. And they're talking about the seven cents a mile that he's charging for travel. And he, But, but don't worry, I'm not billing for the travel time, just the seven cents a mile. Oh, and here's the federal tax that has to be taken out. and But that's built into the fee. I just itemize it for you. It's just a weird amount of accounting for a, a private eye show it
2: is a lot of accounting and at least in two of these three episodes, uh, he goes on a a thing about paper and, uh, like documents. And I'm just, I'm just having print shop flashbacks here with, with stuff I've done, but I, there's something about Jim Rockford that makes me think of him, like going through community college art and, and, uh, accounting classes or, or maybe f- beyond that. But He seems to have some sort of background to this before the private investigation stuff because he's
1: good at it. He does. And that's something I wonder. And again, I don't know if they talk about this, say, further into season one. But what kind of background does he have? First, what kind of background does he have where it was plausible enough for him to be involved in a bank job that he was convicted for it? And what kind of a background does he have that got him a private eye license? Yeah. Because in, in every jurisdiction that I'm aware of, and I'm pretty certain this is for Calif- true for California, to get that license, you need a certain amount of experience either in law enforcement or apprenticing with a licensed private eye. Was Jim Rockford a cop or did he work as a private eye or an apprentice to a private eye before he went to jail or since he went to jail and then got uh, pardoned? I don't know what this background is, but... Was he an accountant at some point, or did he keep the books for a private eye or something? I don't
2: know. Uh, a, a Jim Rockford, art student turned accounting major, who then works on like in like the HR department for <laughs> uh, the police for a little while, doing bookkeeping, and then winds up in this thing. But that gives him enough to to like technicality his way for having worked for the pe- for the police office to do this is the sort of thing they could set up. And I'm thinking this through, and it's like. Right, he's he's really skilled at these weird sets of things. I love it, but it really doesn't want make you wonder where
1: did you learn this, Jim? It explains some of the covers that some of some of the, some of the uh, ways he goes undercover. Oh, absolutely, as an insurance salesman or as a, a representative for a printing company that prints stock certificates and things like that, and he knows enough to buff his way through these. He's got a small book of them, right? And he he obviously walks around with a bunch of different business cards because we'll see him just introduce himself as some insurance agent and pull out a business card and hand it to someone. So he's always ready to drop undercover at a moment's notice in that
2: way. Oh yeah, there's plenty of off-screen prep in this yes. show, and that's good.
1: He is quick-witted and quick on his feet. But you also get the impression that he puts in a lot of time in order to make things easier for himself. He does that preparation because he knows he's going to need it someday and life is going to be so much easier if I have these extra business cards in my pocket than if I realize too late that I need them. So the, the mystery in that first episode is the kind of thing that you described. Someone is coming to him because... Uh, Her father was murdered, and the police have no clues, and they've moved on to to other cases. But she has no money, her brother has no money, but they really want to get resolution here. And that's where we get the back and forth, no, you don't have the money, no, okay, I'll look into it for a while, and eventually he winds up taking this case and solving it. Mm-hmm. And the client in this one is Lindsay Wagner, who is an icon of 70s TV. I'm <laughs> sure we'll come back to L- Lindsay Wagner in the future. I think but I recognized the job.
2: face, but I didn't recognize the name. So, yep.
1: this first episode, this pilot that was broadcast as a, a TV movie, it does set up facts about Jim Rockford and his his style. It is missing some of the things that we see later on that become such tropes of the series. Like you mentioned it in passing. The intro answering machine. Throughout the series, the cold open for every episode is a pan across Jim Rockford's desk, the phone ringing, his answering machine message uh, going out, and then some bizarre or telling or, or some message that's funny and has
2: nothing to do with this, the, uh, the episode. It's a tone setter, and it reminds me in some weird ways of the way some YouTubers We'll put a clip from later in their episode out of context at the beginning of it. Yeah. Before whatever little intro they do just to be able to grab people's attention because I'm looking at this and it, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and watching this. And it's this, if the Rockford files are coming on him talking in as the answering machine, and then this strange non sequitur f- grabs you and focuses you to then start watching. And it's that same don't click away kind of thing that you, these YouTube channels do. It's it's reminding me of that in a weird way.
1: Yeah, you at very least want to know, okay, what's the answering machine message going to be this week? And once you're there, then the music starts and the music is awesome. <laughs> and you're you're there for the hour. You're not going
2: anywhere once you hear that. Absolutely. So it's very effective. It's an, excellent, it's an excellent initial hook.
1: It also solves one of those problems that you can see in this weekly TV uh, format, which is What's the rest of this guy's life like? Is It's not just going from one TV-worthy case to another. He also lives a life, and you get little snippets of this life through the answering machine messages about a party that he's late for or about a uh, a check that he bounced at the supermarket or somebody he forgot to call back or something about his life. You get a little snippet of it in these answering machine messages. So it's it makes the world of Jim Rockford, a little bigger and a little more real seeming and funny and weird at the same time.
2: It, yeah. It, it adds to that. everyman quality you're describing, because right. you can hear like if he has a dental appointment.
1: Yep. Everything he's getting right and everything he does because he's going out of his way for somebody else means that there's some other little piece of his life that's falling apart somewhere. And he's going to have to deal with that once, once we're, once the case is over. To show that its world does not stop when the camera stops rolling. So the mystery itself for this pilot, we mentioned it was he was being asked to solve this murder that the police had given up on. And it was really a clever and pretty intricate plot because it involved someone, a a younger woman who had married an older multimillionaire for his money and skipping ahead. Like always, we've got spoilers in this episode He died in between the signing of all the paperwork and the actual wedding ceremony in Las Vegas. So they found some guy who was drunk, who looked kind of like the old millionaire who had already died, to impersonate him for the wedding ceremony so that they could then claim he died hours after the wedding ceremony. His new bride could inherit all his money. And that turned out to be the father of, Rockford's client and that's why he was killed for seemingly no reason it was
2: because he was one of the few witnesses to the fact that the scam had been pulled talk about a deep episode to try to pull your audience through first is the the murder of the body double of convenience <laughs> for inheritance scam wow that's that's a little tricky to wrap and they do so including an entire chase sequence and plane gunfight? Yes, that's right. It it goes back and forth between L.A. and Las Vegas
1: a couple of times, this, uh, this story. And in the end, the people who are responsible for the murder are getting away in a small aircraft, and eventually it winds up with this weird duel of them shooting at Rockford's car with a machine gun from their 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 aircraft while he is trying to find cover and then trying to
2: shoot them down with his handgun this is a lot of action scene for an episode or a tv movie that is already trying to give you a lot of complex mystery it's not a simple murder plot and they do both i'm i'm impressed and surprised that they were able to fit both in there because i'd expect one to fall short for the sake of the other
1: and there's something delightfully weird about all the pieces, this this plot that he's unraveling. It is kind of a weird mystery plot. It's, it's not predictable. It's not run-of-the-mill at all. And this action sequence at the end, again, that's just kind of weird. And it sort of sets that tone for the series that nothing's ever going to be normal for for Jim Rockford once he gets involved in a case. It's always going to be weird. It's always going to be more difficult than it has to be. And
2: uh, he's not going to know how he got into this. In some ways, that is great because these are the cases that the police can't solve. These are the cases that have gone cold for the police. The fact that every single one of them has been a little twisted, a little obtuse, Allows us as the audience to be excited, Jim to be clever, and the police to be not stupid, but just too busy to bother untangling this in the time frame
1: needed. Right, because or- the only way to solve them is to wade into the weirdness. And Jim
2: Rockford's willing to do that for $200 a day plus expenses. Exactly. That right there kind of saves face and allows a- allows them to be angry and... Back and forth with the police without ever saying the police are doing a bad job true he does and and that 's another character we meet in this pilot
1: is he 's got a friend in the l a p d in homicide, I believe, and this friend will sometimes send people to Jim Rockford if his bosses are saying you 've got to let this go and move on to other cases, but he still thinks there's something there or there 's a family member who wants. A closure. He'll send them to Rockford. But at the same time, he and the rest of the police department are not really happy when they've declared a case not worth pursuing. And then Rockford goes ahead and solves it. He's not doesn't have a lot of fans at the LAPD, even though he has this one friend frenemy.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Jim. I'm going to fill this out, give it to patrol, but don't count on much. Well, now, what is that supposed to mean? I get kidnapped by two guys and they beat the poo out of me. I'm making a legitimate complaint. What do you mean don't count on too much? I'm counting on you and this Girl Scout troop in here to solve it. Shut up, will you? What do I have to do, spell it out for you? You know, you're not exactly Princess Margaret in this department.
1: Every time you come in here with a bloody nose, morale goes up ten points. And if I weren't a party of yours, I wouldn't even type this up.
2: And this is the person who, who they like each other's posts, but then type angry things in the responses. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> It, it is it is a t- is a close balance, but they keep that he's never the enemy of and he's never the ally completely of the police. And he winds up in the custody of the police fairly often. Well, the first episode involves ends with him being arrested for the fact that he has a gun without the license for it.
1: Right. Yeah, true. He, he shot down a light, light aircraft with a gun for which he doesn't have a permit and he's being put in jail in somewhere in Nevada.
2: Our hero, ladies and gentlemen, arrested at the end of his premiere episode <laughs> Okay Presumably he gets out because they do continue the series Yes, uh, he's immediately calling, like, you no, know, call this person, this person, I'll have bail, I'll be out in a few hours, don't worry He's He's got a system for this Right, yeah his Which da- is good his Dad shows up in his truck to at least
1: take care of his, um, his client slash maybe girlfriend, sort of, at the end Yeah at the same time, he has a he has a plan for this? This means he's had to do this before? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, he's definitely got a, a bail bondsman uh, in his Rolodex. Oh, yeah. So we then watched the first episode of the actual TV series. And that was in some ways superficially a similar plot yeah. in that his client was somebody who hired him to solve the murder of his parents, James Woods plays the uh, the client really arrogant annoying rich kid who insists that Rockford continue looking into this case uh, to find out who killed his parents the, the the episode begins with Rockford going to report to his client that I'm at a dead end if there's nothing else I can find out I think we're done but the client insists and offers him
2: bonuses and things to keep going After an initial pilot all about the person not being able to pay the amount he needs, the next thing is a client overpaying to push Rockford and him fighting back on the other side. In some ways, no, 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 there's no more info. No, you're not going to try to offer me more. It's like, there's nothing more for me to do. Oh... That kind of yeah. reinforces this, it's not about the numerics, it's about the reason those are there. Right,
1: he's immediately suspicious when he's being offered a $20,000 bonus, when he said, I'm not going to be able to come up with anything else. But he does, he he says, well, I'll at least try a little bit more. Partly, I think, for the $20,000, partly uh, because, well, there's something here, if this guy is so determined to have me continue looking into it. Maybe there is something to find. And he's not ruling out even from the beginning that the thing he might find is his client. Right, because they do establish that the police and the DA are almost certain that this guy killed his parents, but they don't have enough evidence to prove it. So it's kind of like a, you know, OJ searching for the real killers sort of thing. Is he looking for somebody he can point to and say they're the ones who killed my parents to clear his own name, even though he really did do it. It's very unclear where this guy stands legally at the beginning. And he's not, definitely not a character who we like at the beginning.
2: No, he's intentionally made to grate on us as an audience, just as much as he's grating on Rockford.
1: Right. We are totally ready to believe he did his parents in just because he wanted their money. And then
2: we follow the most interesting, strange series of other clues to half that ending. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the whole episode,
1: even before we meet the client, it begins with Rockford tailing like a cowboy in a truck to the to a beach and then losing him and then getting mickeyed and kidnapped and interrogated by the cowboy and his girlfriend.
2: Which is an excellent scene and brings in some of, uh, Rockford's excellent fighting, which is, he is a, a, a a fisticuff brawler, but of a, look over there, whap, kind of method. He's got this, he's got this trick of, you know, lighting the cigarette, then taking it as a method, think, and then flicking it up so the guy looks up and then socking him in the jaw. And it doesn't always work, but (laughs) it works the first time. And it's
1: it's great. It makes you wonder, is that one of those things he learned in prison? I'd say probably yes. I'd say probably. He's, he is he is a, a, he's kind of a tough guy, he's a slugger, but he's not a clean fighter. If he, he he tries to avoid fighting mostly, but he doesn't necessarily fight clean if it comes to that. But throughout the whole series, uh Jim Rockford gets beaten up a lot. He gets more than he gives oh my goodness. when it comes to punches.
2: Jim Rockford's medical bill is gotta be amazingly high or or at least consistent
1: yeah I don't know that he actually gets medical treatment for a lot of this stuff we saw that he he kind of knows how to put one of his own teeth back in when it it gets knocked out so he may he may rely upon self-care for a lot of these uh, injuries that he sustains oh yeah He's clever, but not always as clever as he wants to be, which is the right balance. Yes, because you can. Again, he's not he's not super powered. He's not super smart. You can. He's believable. I think that part of it is people can imagine themselves as Jim Rockford in a way that they can't necessarily imagine themselves as characters who are obviously geniuses or obviously super athletic or, or, or the like. He's got that yeah, he's 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 a kind of a regular guy like me. He's just got a more interesting job. That's part of the the believability is the fact that he he makes mistakes and gets things wrong, but he keeps going and eventually wins.
2: Jim Rockford is a detective of determination. And I, I that that makes him someone you can aspire to be like.
1: And that's probably what allows him to have At least enough success to keep his business going, even though he's always in the red, is that he may not get a lot of cases, but the cases he gets, he does not let go of. Mm -hmm. The cases he chooses to take, he does not let go
2: of. And I'm going to say something, and I'm going to skip around our episodes a little. We saw an, an episode from season two. Right. And we saw this first episode of season one, and it's TV movie pilot. And the quality of the interior of his trailer office improve from season one to season two so i would say that jim rockford's business has an upward trend in terms of value but it is a very very slow shallow slope because he's at very least able to upgrade some of his stuff a little but it (laughs) takes him a long while that's an interesting point. So it's not
1: just that the TV show's budget went up a little bit. It's that Jim Rockford, if he's not doing better financially, at least maybe there was a client in the past year that who paid him in the form of a, a nice desk that fell off a truck somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> something. Sort of,
1: yeah, something. <laughs> he's at least able to upgrade the place. And in world, that does mean something. And the resolution of that first episode of the first season where he's trying to find out for James Woods, who uh, who killed his parents involves various affairs, and in the end, it turned out that the father had hired a hitman to kill the mother. And the kid, the the young man, the client of of, uh, Jim Rockford, is the one who killed his father in revenge for the father having arranged to kill the mother. And once the case was solved, once Rockford proved who killed his mother, his client went to the police and turned himself in and confessed to having killed his father he wanted to stay out of prison long enough to prove what had happened to his mom and then he was ready to take the consequences of having killed his father in revenge It was this weird complicated interlocking set of motivations it was really interesting it was a little bit hard to follow at times but it was another example of how the stuff that Jim Rockford gets involved in just tends to be weird And it also made me very much wonder at the very end if
2: Jim Rockford's actually getting paid for all of that.
1: I think Rockford was wondering that as well.
2: Yeah, it's like, oh, great. My client just turned himself into the police. I've still got paperwork on my desk to send him.
1: Right, and he can't inherit based upon having murdered the person he's inheriting from, so
2: he probably doesn't have a nickel to pay Rockford anyway. So it ends on that kind of note, but... Yeah, it it's twisty, and that's excellent. The one major disappointment in
1: that episode for me was the fact that Rockford spends at least half of it driving rented cars. Uh, yeah, it, that one did. That one made me sad. That means he wasn't driving the Sierra Gold Pontiac Firebird Esprit. That is the Jim Rockford car. And even though it gets blown up at the end of the the pilot TV movie, apparently he knows a guy and he has a supply of them. I think the model year changes throughout the series, but he's always driving this gold uh, Firebird. And it is a cool car. I don't know if it's an inherently cool car or if it's now a cool car because it was Jim Rockford's
2: car. But as far as I'm concerned, it's now a cool car. I hate to say I think it's the second. Uh, That is an excellent color. That is an excellent design of car. There is an ugly car color combination in my opinion.
1: You don't like the the tan and, and gold. There was
2: something about it that just looked odd. It looked wrong in a lot of the lighting to me. And I was I was kind of sad that I wasn't more enamored of it. <laughs> I can understand. It's a very California set of colors. It's a very 70s color too.
1: Very oh, said. That
2: is that is a remarkably 70s color. And I do wonder how many of those they went through. Oh, I bet they went through a lot and I bet they had a few
1: on hand for for action scenes versus hero scenes and the like. And if I understand correctly, J- uh, James Garner did a lot of that driving himself because he was very into cars. I think he did some racing at one point and uh, that was not always some e- always easy driving. I don't know how much of that he got to do himself, but I understand that it was something he liked a lot.
2: Yeah, but his car Jim Rockford's car goes through a lot and that means that there's a lot of Jim Rockford cars, that went through a lot. And the numbers of how many spares of a vehicle a production will have sometimes, I do find interesting. Yes. Because, you know, you've got to have a couple of them and you've got to keep one really nice for the close up scenes. And then you can have one that's more beaten up for the distance scenes when you see people driving around. And the numbers of how many they had, especially when they changed out. Could quite could be quite interesting over the life of that series, especially because it was that a very common color for that car to come in. I don't know that it was. Uh,
1: I know that it was a production color, but I don't know if it was especially popular, or at least
2: if it was especially popular before the Rockford Files. Yeah, because if it if it was if it wasn't popular before the Rockford Files and became popular, the fact that this production of the show would have so many of these in hand would change the percentage of them out on the on the market which is just a whole we're getting into a whole like is the car valuable because of the show kind of weirdness well today they are hard to come by those uh firebirds or even
1: cars similar to those firebirds in that gold color Mm -hmm. that 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 gold factory paint job are very hard to come by for collectors because so many people want them because they were the Jim Rockford car. Oh, that's pretty cool. We actually didn't get to see as much of the cool driving uh, as that series has to offer. There's a lot of chase scenes and a lot of driving throughout the series. There's a kind of maneuver that Jim Rockford frequently made. It's called a J-turn. I think it's sometimes called a bootleg turn. For a long time, people would call it the Rockford Turn because he did it so much in this series where you accelerate in reverse as fast as you can and then you hit, hit the e-brake and uh, turn the wheel hard and shift into uh, drive so that you're now it, it's essentially a really good way to escape you back up really fast and do a pivot so that you're going forwards
2: again as soon as you have room I, I, i'm picturing this maneuver and i'm just thinking of wash doing this with the serenity <laughs> yeah i guess it's a very little much bit like sort of it's very much that sort of driving a little bit like a crazy ivan
1: kind of thing yeah. okay yeah but that was it's it, he didn't invent it but he did it
2: so much on tv people started calling it the the rockford turn i i'm gonna have to see at least an episode with that gonna have to go back and try to find some
1: but fortunately, by the uh,
2: the next episode, we saw he
1: did have his Firebird back. Although mm-hmm. he there wasn't that much driving of his car in the uh, that that third episode we watched.
2: No, there was a lot more pacing around and being put in dark rooms. Right. But that kind of came with the territory of this case.
1: So this was a second season episode. I think episode fifteen of the second season, and it was also the. F- It was the only one that we've watched, which included Beth. I don't remember her last name, but she's a recurring character. A one-time girlfriend, often his lawyer, uh, and she will sometimes help him, sometimes bring clients to him. And she brings a client to him, played by John Saxon, who is a, a lawyer, but now he's working as a corporate comptroller and... He just wants Rockford to check in to see if there's any of the the embezzlement or stolen check scam that he thinks is happening at his his company really is happening, so he knows whether to pursue it with law enforcement. It seems fairly straightforward at the beginning, and of course it gets weird and complicated. But it turns out that this seemingly wanting to please everybody, seemingly withdrawn, but This lawyer does not come across as a particularly tough guy, or even as particularly—I don't know how what I'm trying to describe. He doesn't make a huge impression. He seems really reasonably smart. Seems reasonably successful. He's a lawyer turned accountant. That's about all you need to
2: know about. He's a counterpart kind of everyman to Rockford's presence everyman.
1: Yeah, he's he's an everyman who went to grad school and got a good job kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And then we see him. (laughs) beating the heck out of gangsters with karate. And I was hoping for that scene because John Saxon was in Enter the Dragon and knows at least some pretty good moves. So I I didn't I didn't know because of course he is an actor, he's done a lot of different roles, but I was kind of hoping for those first 20 minutes are we going to see him like in a fight and he's going to
2: He's going to show his stuff, and sure enough, he does, well, he's to the-, the surprise of the characters around him. He's got an excellent signature move of the go-to-take-my-jacket-off, and while I am obviously bound my own hands behind me with my jacket mid-removal, I start roundhouse-kicking you till you're on the floor, then finish taking off the jacket, and by the time I've done that, you're getting up again, so you're down again. <laughs> right, he
1: like invites the sucker punch so that he can kick you before you can land on the sucker punch. It is an excellent
2: little maneuver. And I'm like, oh, that was awesome.
1: <laughs> so we're thinking, oh, maybe this guy's cooler than we thought. Because he he's, he's a, an everyman who went to grad school. And he can handle himself in a fight against gangsters. But then we find out he's really not such a good guy. Dun, dun, dun.
2: He is involved in major uh, money scam by using his position at this company to steal cashier's checks, which he used as an out of like in another state's bank to walk away with $2 million. And by the time the paper were finished processing, only then did they know these checks were stolen. And he's still pretending to work at the company he was fired for on another thing. It's like, so he set up this scam where he's
1: getting $2 million Via stolen cashier's checks, and he uses the M.O. of one gangster, and then he uses as an accomplice the bodyguard of that gangster. Who was a gangster
2: in and of himself who had been in another job involved in this, if I understand. Right, I think, I think so. Yeah. And then he kills both of them, and he makes sure to do it in Rockford's office with Rockford's unlicensed, unregistered gun, because the only reason he hired him, hired. Our main character, Rockford, was to pin it on him and use Rockford getting in trouble for this as part of his escape. Right. The 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 job for
1: which he hired Rockford required Rockford to go into this company undercover and get a look at its cashier's checks. All the things that Rockford would have had to do essentially to pull off the scam himself and to top it off, Beth is acting as an attorney both for Rockford and for John Saxon's character. So she's stuck not being able to testify against the real bad guy. And that's what would be required for her to support Rockford's story and his alibis. It makes things very complicated because not only is Rockford arrested for the murder of these two guys who were found dead in his trailer, (laughs) but then he is taken in by the FBI for this uh, uh, bank fraud. And there's this great argument between the LAPD and the FBI guy about who gets to, to have Rockford and, and eventually the FBI take him and they seem to believe him after he essentially tells him everything he knows, which is not much.
2: Yeah, there's a large portion here where Rockford is just kind of watching a tennis match as the LAPD, Beth acting as his lawyer and as the feds like quip back and forth to each other and he's just like following it <laughs> with his eyes and then... He's brought to a dark room by the feds to be like questioned, and there's a lot of him looking at the main guy questioning him and saying, "I don't know what you're talking about." And then the federal guy looks over at the other guy guarding the door, who shrugs, who looks back at the this, and Rockford's watching both of them, and there's just this you know you know dog watching a tennis match head back and forth as everyone figures out, "We're all getting played) <laughs> And Rockford is so cool and
1: easygoing when he's being interrogated by the LAPD, including his friend, and when he's being interrogated by the FBI, that's the kind of thing that makes it clear this is not new to Jim Rockford. This is a weekly <laughs> occurrence where he's brought in by the police and questioned about a crime he may or may not have had any involvement in. Uh and hits, you know, today at the office he's he's just gonna chat and smoke a cigarette and tell them where
2: they're wrong uh, he'll question why they're doing it here and then he'll get an answer he's like okay it's tuesday i can get that <laughs> it's uh, there's some there's a very there's a remarkable amount of chill yes
1: and this is a uh, an episode that has kind of a false ending as well yeah that was, was the stutter step ending there was unexpected eventually everybody's given up on trying to find this guy but they beth and jim rockford track him down they find him when he's about to leave the country with he was he's also like a amateur portrait painter apparently yeah that seems to kind
2: of come out of nowhere at the end
1: oh that's 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 an interesting little detail and they find him in his apartment slash art studio packing stuff up because he's going to leave the country and we get to see another fight in which he uses the same tricks and uh and knocks out rockford or, or 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 gets past Rockford, grabs Beth, and drives away.
2: <laughs> With Rockford now clinging to the hood of his car.
1: Yes, he does the, um, the, the classic move of jumping onto the hood of the car as the guy's trying to speed away. But he's smart enough to cut it short, because on his way out of the art studio he grabbed a big bottle of paint and smashes it on the windshield as soon as the guy starts trying to drive. <laughs> so it's like the, the shortest automobile escape uh, attempt that I think I've ever seen in TV because he goes about 80
2: feet and crashes into a bush and that's it. And then is thrown up against his own car with his arms held behind his back and his legs pinned. And meanwhile, it's like Beth go get the police. Go now. I'm holding the guy. <laughs> and Rockford is he
1: he knows how to fight again. I think he learned how to fight in prison. He knows how to fight dirty and He knows how not to fall for the same trick twice because he pins this guy's legs in the car door as he as the the bad guy tries to get out uh, because he's not going to get karate kicked again if he can help it.
2: (laughs) Anyone who could help not get karate kicked again will go for it in most situations. So until they find this guy trying
1: to leave, and I was mistaken, it's not that they um, they didn't think they could could uh, could find this guy. It's that. They could only charge him with so much, and he was probably going to go to jail for a few years, but then he'd get out. Nobody knew where the money was, and he was trying to—he was planning to jump bail and leave the country and, and gather the money from somewhere. And then Rockford figures out where the money
2: is. And, and this is also where my, my assumption of art student Rockford doubles up, because him being able to look at all this art in the studio during a fight scene— and and then immediately realize where he'd go to put something. Goes to the guy who runs the art apartment he was using, the art studio. Says, did he leave a package for you? Finds it. Picks it up. And immediately is like testing the paint with his thumb. Nope. Watercolors. Flips it over. Like, this isn't the right paper. Flips it over. It's, a, it's the uh, federal... Uh, 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 what's it's, a, it's a bearer bond. Bearer bond.
1: It's a uh, financial instrument you don't see too much anymore because they were tailor-made for moving money around uh quietly and illegally. <laughs> Didn't have a whole lot of other uses, so somebody eventually said, "Why do we make these anyway?" <laughs> so, it's hard to get your hands on bearer bonds these days. But, yeah, it was a $2 million bearer bond.
2: And and it's it's this reveal, but Rockford's just really like Nope, it's a this, and it's not on the right paper. It's... Okay, art student. That's, you know, I'm not totally on
1: board with the Jim Rockford as art student. I'm more in the Jim Rockford who knows how to think like criminals, but I'm not totally counting it out either. Okay. So again, we get a a nicely complicated story, an interesting twist at the end. And lots of chances for Jim Rockford to be cool under pressure. And lots of chances for Jim Rockford to make mistakes that get him into more trouble. Oh, absolutely. It, it, is, it is once again,
2: delightfully twisty.
1: And then we've seen only three episodes now of a series that lasted for seven seasons. Oh so my goodness, there were that many this. seasons of yes. this? Um, I mean, Beth a- appears in like 30 some episodes <laughs> as a recurring character. My so, uh, yeah, this was, was super popular and uh, and very successful. And I, I understand that it, one of the reasons it ended when it did was that James Garner really couldn't hold up to the abuse as much as he could. He was not a young man. And it was such a physical role between the fighting and the driving and the world getting punched. It was uh, and, and it was uh, it was a tough role. Yeah, there's, so I just,
2: n- there's not an episode where Jim Rockford isn't getting beat up in some way. And you're doing that for seven seasons? Yeah. I
1: mean, because
2: even stage fighting,
1: that is not easy. Oh, my goodness. And and it's one of those tropes that comes from the tradition of American P.I. stories. I mean, Jim Rockford did not—the Rockford Files did not invent the American West Coast tough guy P.I. with a heart of gold that goes back to the 30s. But he's the best example of it in the 70s, and part of that is— he gets beat up a lot. Yeah. So having seen uh, three episodes of this show, I think we have enough to, to think about our usual questions. I think we do. The first one is binge or no binge?
2: Binge. Binge? I, I think binge. <laughs> I'm liking this. This has a good style to it. And and that as we discussed, that initial hook... Will draw you into an episode even if it's unrelated that that setup of the world keeps spinning and here's a little slice of it which means i think it'll be easy to because you'll try to watch one and then the <laughs> next one will start up and you'll wind up watching it yep I it think is auto binging right. i agree it's binge i mean they're they're
1: complicated enough to be interesting and yet they always somehow go down smooth and you're right if you have these on on a dvd and one of them ends and if goes to the next one with the uh, the answering machine, you're going to stay around. <laughs> so you're right. It's, it's binge, absolutely. So that question was easy. The next question is,
2: revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Oh. I, I want to hear your thoughts first, because I've got a lot on this.
1: I have to say rest in peace, only um. because... I don't know how you would do any of the others. We no longer have James Garner with us. So it's not as if we could have... We couldn't reboot in that we couldn't have anybody else play James Rockford. No. I don't think. And I don't know if there's enough to hang a revival on. Because if we don't have James Garner and we don't want someone else to play Jim Rockford, that would mean we're going for a, a next generation or a successor kind of revival where... The original show is still canon and somebody else is doing things 30 years later, 40 years later. And I don't know if the things that made the Rockford Files what it was translate into the 20-teens. Oh, interesting. So what do you think?
2: I'm really thinking reboot. Oh, you want to see somebody else play James Rockford? I think someone else could play James Rockford. And in some ways... I wanted to say rest in peace because I started thinking and I started thinking how you could do the opening yeah. nowadays and it's very different. It, it, it's not an answering machine with a message playing and such. It's like a cell phone on a desk with a pop-up message. <laughs> but then I started thinking this out and it's suddenly it's, you know, the synth heavy theme. I started realizing why it didn't stick in my head the way it stuck in yours as you, oh, just, that... you you described, like, humming
1: it all week. Absolutely. It's so stuck in my head. In that is my... such a cool uh, song. Mike Post is, like, the sound of the 70s and 80s, and I love I, that I, song. I,
2: Mike Post is amazing. <laughs> I, I like Mike Post's stuff that is amazing stuff. But I'm sorry. You were saying about the synth theme. And I realized why it didn't stick in my head the same way. Yeah? It, it was alert tones. <laughs> I've heard those synth riffs. Everywhere, every time something pops up on my PC, it's notes similar to that. And it all started clicking in my head of the, a modern version of it would have to, a a guy who solves cold cases, who's, the show starts up with him getting a message. A guy who's always running, who's always focusing on the money, but is able to make stuff without the money because it's not about the numerics of it. It, it, it builds a character in my mind that still fits nowadays. He's just a different, he's just a little bit more techie in, in a way. Cause it's a guy who can, this is a guy who knows enough stuff to then go back and search old security footage in the modern day. This is a guy who maybe he doesn't park his RV out on the beach, but he parks next to like a bakery he's always borrowing Wi-Fi from. There's, there's a character in here that still fits in the modern day. But his approach to his things shifts with what's available. And I still like it. So you want to reboot because you're thinking a hard reboot, a cold reboot.
1: Like the BBC's modern day Sherlock. With yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Absolutely rebooted for the present
2: day from the ground up. Mm -hmm. This is a Rockford that sneaks in not pretending to be another businessman, but pretending to be the repair guy for your Xerox machine or the IT guy called in to fix the thing in the basement because he knows enough to get in on that and then do his investigation work. So he gets in
1: in in where he needs to be because he hacks your Uber and he winds up being your driver and you don't
2: know that you're leading him to the place that he's trying to find. Oh yeah. And this is still a guy that can wind up getting in the same number of fist fights. Oh sure. Who can still tinker and enjoy uh up uh his car the same sort of way. It, it still feels rock enough, but it is a little bit more of a cold reboot for a modern day, but it fits in my th- in my mind. And it, it, I, it started in my head all from that opening and how you do that now. And it, it just seemed to flow. Okay, I am not as set against a
1: reboot of The Rockford Files as I ever would have imagined myself to be. Uh, I, I am more open to it than I ever would have imagined myself to be. You've got to find the, an actor to pull this off. I don't know who that would be. But that would be the key. You're you're right that it could be done, but it would have
2: to be a vehicle for the right kind of performer. Mm -hmm. This this is one of those things where if you can have the right actor at the right time, it would work. It would fall to pieces without someone with enough presence to carry it. But I I, I have hope that it would be possible. So I'm hoping this isn't forgotten. And I'm hoping that people remember its name more because as I said in the beginning I didn't know its name I knew of the pieces I didn't know the name the rockefeller. Oh. cost. I'm hoping the name gets known more because I don't want that to uh, it, this is a great vehicle opportunity for the right person in the right time and, and that is without ruining how amazing it was her name's garner when it was on as it was
1: yeah I'm gonna have to give some thought to who could possibly play rockford this might be a ha- we have to come back to that might part just be. to think
2: about it after we've seen a few more episodes and right. think about it
1: yeah i think we're gonna have yeah that we're that's gonna bear some thought but yeah i think we've got some answers to our questions or at least suggested answers to our questions definitely binge and yeah let's start to think about a reboot yeah yay and on that note thank you everybody for joining us once again for the uh, i double mp We'll be back in a couple of weeks with some talk about another uh, TV show or movie or something from the distant past. Until then, you can reach me on Twitter at Buy Matthew Porter or online at MatthewFPorter.com, uh, which will link you to
2: anything else I'm doing online. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at, at Item Crafting and most places else as Item Crafting or at ItemCrafting.com. And you can reach the show uh, at. Uh, on Twitter, at
1: I-M-M-P cast, or you can go to I-M-M project dot com, where you will find information about the show, all of our past episodes, and the like. And uh, we do not get $200 a day plus expenses for doing the podcast. Uh, we'd get zero dollars and we pay the expenses so if you (laughs) and we do that because it's fun and we'd be having these conversations anyway if you'd like to help make this easier for us to continue doing as a podcast there are a couple of things you can do one is if you find yourself interested in any of the shows that we talk about for most of them in the show notes on that website uh immproject.com you will find a link to uh, where you can buy a copy of this on DVD on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and if you use that link, Amazon throws us a little bit of a commission. If you're not interested in that or don't want to do that, you can also go to iTunes and uh, leave us a review, throw some stars on that, and uh, that'll help more people find out about the show. Uh, either way, just keep listening. We're, we're glad to have you here, and uh, we'll be back soon.
2: Yeah, if you if you think of anything from one of the episodes, we're always happy to chat about what we've watched, what we're gonna watch, things like that. Sure, I, I, he. I usually don't hear about what we're gonna watch until we start to, but you can always see what see if you can divine what it is, and then tease me about what i I don't know is coming. <laughs> but in the meantime, go find something new to watch.